Hello and welcome to the Ghosts and Folklore podcast. I'm Mark Rees, and on each episode, I investigate a different, weird, and wonderful subject. And on this episode, we are going to explore a particularly nasty and deceptively innocent-looking folkloric creature that appears at first glance to be a dear old lady simply walking the roads of Wales at night, only to lead her victims into an impenetrable fog from which they might never emerge, from which they might never be seen again, from which they might meet a rather unfortunate end, as we'll discover on this episode. And so, to begin at the beginning... And this is the fifth and final episode I'm dedicating to the five different types of fairy folk said to populate Wales by the American folklorist Wirt Sykes, and I've saved the meanest until last, the Gwythion or the Mountain Fairies. Now, Sykes divided the fairy folk of Wales into five different classes, and I've dedicated episodes to the others already. If you'd like to go and check those out afterwards, please do. But very quickly, the five different classes are 1. The Athlon or the Elves 2. The Coblanai or the Mine Fairies 3. The Bubachod or the Household Fairies 4. The Gragev Anun or Fairies of the Lakes and Streams and finally, number 5, the Gwythion or the mountain fairies. And as you can probably tell from those brief descriptions, each one gives you an idea of where these creatures dwell. The Coblanai are in the mines, the Bubachod are in the houses, and this one, the Gwythion, are quite closely related to the Gragev Anon, who are in the lakes and streams, but these are specifically in the mountains, in the rolling green hills and mountains, and there is no shortage of rolling green hills and mountains in Wales. Now, before we look at some actual accounts of the Gwythion supposedly in action, let's start with a quick description from Sykes of what exactly these creatures are supposed to be. And he tells us that the Gwythion are female fairies of frightful characteristics who haunt lonely roads in the Welsh mountains and lead night wanderers astray. So, if you don't want to encounter the Gwythion, don't go walking around the Welsh mountains at night. And he also compares them to a character from Greek mythology, to Hecate. He says they share similarities because she rode on the storm and was a hag of horrid Guys, not a particularly flattering description there, but a hag of horrid guys who rode on the storm. And Sykes also offers an explanation for the name itself, the name Gwythion, which I'll spell for you, which is G W Y double L or in Welsh I O N. Gwythion. And Sykes tells us that the word Gwyth, the first half of that name, is variously used to signify gloom shade, duskiness, a hag, a witch, a fairy, and a goblin. That is a word with a lot of uses. But he continues, its special application is to these mountain fairies of gloomy and harmful habits, 
as distinct from the aslathlon of the forest glades and dingles, which are more often beneficent. Which is a nice way of saying that while some of these other fairy folk might actually do some good, they might do some bad as well, but they might in some way be useful, the Gwythion are not. It is just 100% badness with the Gwythion. Don't expect them to do you any favours, to clean your house, to grant you wishes. These are most definitely not the kind of fairies that you see in Disney films. And Sykes continues to tell us that they also have another name for the Gwythion an English language name which is much more to the point of what these creatures are. He tells us that they take on a more distinct individuality under an other name and that English language name is the Old Woman of the Mountain which is pretty much exactly what they appear to be, the Old Woman of the the mounting. And in one encounter with an old woman of the mountain in Monmouthshire, on a mountain in Monmouthshire on the English border, in what, what must have been the 17th century, I'm assuming, this creature is described as having the semblance of a poor old woman with an oblong four-cornered hat, ash-coloured clothes, her apron thrown across her shoulder with a pot a wooden can in her hand, such as poor people carry to fetch milk with, always going before the spectator, so she's always just ahead of you. And sometimes she is heard crying out. This creature is not silent. She makes a noise. And I am sure this noise is much more terrifying when you hear it in real life, if indeed it does happen in real life, than it is when I try to say it aloud because this strange figure cries out quite a strange word, which is spelt, and this is a Welsh language word, so written in the Welsh language, WWB or WW hyphen BWB. So WWB or WW hyphen BWB, which despite being a Welsh speaker myself, this is a word I have not encountered before, and I am assured it is pronounced wooboob. Yes, wooboob, but if you can imagine that on a dark, foggy mountain being shouted at the top of an old woman's voice, I am sure it is much more terrifying than my poor attempt on this podcast. And no, I'm not going to attempt recreating that because, frankly, I'm recording this in a residential area and I'm sure some of the locals would call the police on me if I started screaming woo-boob at the top of my voice. But if you're wondering why on earth was she shouting such a strange word, what does woo-boob mean? Well, again, I am assured, as mentioned, I speak Welsh, but this isn't a common Welsh word, so I'm not entirely sure myself. But I am told that it is a Welsh language word used in times of distress, and it has been derived from two other words, which are Wow, W-O-W, wow, the first part of it, which I'm assuming is just for getting attention, and the word paub or baub, which means everyone. So it's like, wow, everyone, a cry for attention, a cry in distress, a cry for help. Maybe, maybe the next time you do find yourself lost on a foggy mountain, you can try this out for me. You can try shouting woo-boob at the top of your voice, and we'll find out if it really is an effective way of attracting attention. Now, 
back to the scary stuff, back to the Gwithion, and hearing this sound or seeing this old woman, hearing Wooboob or seeing the Gwithion was not a good sign because we are told those who saw this apparition, whether by night or on a misty day, would be sure to lose their way, though they might be perfectly familiar with the road. So it didn't matter how well you knew the area beforehand, if the Gwithion was there, things could go bad. And to continue, sometimes they heard her cry when they did not see her, so she could be heard and not seen. And sometimes when they went out by night to fetch coal or water or whatever it might be, the dwellers near that mountain in Monmouthshire would hear the cry very close to them. And immediately after, they would hear it afar off, as if it were on the opposite mountain. So either this creature was incredibly fast, maybe there was more than one of them, or maybe it worked like an echo. They were making this sound near you, and then this sound was also heard in a distant mountain. And the popular tradition in that district in Monmouthshire was that the old woman of the mountain was the spirit of one Dwan White, who lived time out of mind in those parts and was thought to be a witch. So this person was thought to be a witch and the old woman of the mountain was believed to be her spirit because the mountains were not haunted in this manner until after their death. And when people lost their way and saw her before them, they used to hurry forward to try to catch her, supposing her to be a flesh and blood woman. So they were lost. They saw someone walking. They thought, great, let's follow this person. They chased after them. They chased after this flesh and blood woman who could set them right, but they could never overtake her. They could never catch up. And she, on her part, never looked back so that no man ever saw her face. So as terrifying as that is, that account does suggest that to see the old woman of the mountain didn't necessarily mean you were going to die. Some people did report back their experiences, but nevertheless, to see her, to encounter her was not a good thing. Now, the old woman was not limited to Monmouthshire, and she was also seen in the Black Mountain in Brackenshire, as the county was then. And the following tale comes from a Robert Williams of Llangattock in Crickhowell, who was described as a substantial man of undoubted veracity. So, this is a reliable source. We can trust this man. He is a man of undoubted veracity. And as he was traveling one night over part of the Black Mountain, he saw the old woman and at the same time found he had lost his way. Not knowing her to be a spectre, he hallowed her to stay for him, but receiving no answer, thought she was deaf. He then hastened his steps, thinking to overtake her, but the faster he ran, the further he found himself behind her, at which he wondered very much, not knowing the reason for it. So, to recap that quickly, he saw this old woman on the Black Mountain. When he called out to her, when he shouted hello, she ignored him, and he assumed she must be deaf. And so he decided to chase after her, and when he tried to overtake her, 
he found himself further and further away. Even when he was running, he couldn't catch up with this old woman. And to return to the tale, he presently found himself stumbling in a marsh, at which discovery his vexation increased, which is a somewhat flowery Victorian way of saying he was really, really annoyed about being stuck in a marsh. And then he heard the old woman laughing at him with a weird, uncanny, crackling old laugh. A weird, uncanny, crackling old laugh which set him to thinking she might, in fact, be a gwyll. The penny has dropped. She might be a gwyll. And so he decided to draw out his knife. Presumably this would help him escape from the marsh in some way. But he pulled out his knife and with that, the old lady vanished. And this really did serve as confirmation. Then he was sure, for Welsh ghosts and fairies are afraid of a knife. And anyone who listened to episode 102 of this podcast about the Edwardian Ghostbusters will know exactly that. You can keep ghosts away, and apparently fairies now, with a knife. Although, just to repeat myself quickly, of course, don't actually try that. Please, please don't carry a knife with you on a ghost hunt. Now, back to the Gwethleon, and back to another account. And this one relates to a John App John of Cum Villain who set out one morning, early in the morning before daybreak, to walk to Caerleon Fair. As he ascended Milverham Mountain, he heard a shouting behind him, as if it were on Bryn Mawr, which is a part of the Black Mountain in Brackenshire again. Soon after, he heard shouting coming from his left-hand side, from Bulch Athlone, which seized him with a great fright, because he suspected this was no human voice that was shouting. So I'm throwing lots of names and places at you at the moment, but all you really need to know is he's on a mountain, he's on his way to the fair, he hears some shouting coming from the left-hand side, and he is seized by a great fright, and he begins to suspect it is no human voice that is shouting. He had already been wondering, indeed, what anyone could be doing at that hour in the morning, shouting on the mountainside. Nobody else was as foolish as he was, traipsing around on the mountain in the dark. Still, nevertheless, he persevered with his journey. On he went, higher up into the mountain. When he heard the shouting to his right this time, coming from Gilvach Fields, and now he was sure it was the old woman of the mountain, and by calling him from all directions, was trying to lead him astray. Now, luckily, this man was wise to her tricks, and presently he heard behind him the noise of a coach, and with it, the special cry of the old woman of the mountain, and you all know this by now, he heard Wooboob coming behind him, knowing very well that no coach could possibly travel along this road. It must have been extra rugged and bumpy, but no coach could possibly be travelling along this mountain road. But nevertheless, he could hear it getting louder and louder. It was getting closer and closer. A coach where there should be no coach was getting closer and closer to him. And as such, he became thoroughly 
terrified and running out of the road threw himself down upon the ground and buried his face in the heath waiting for the phantom to pass when it was gone out of hearing he arose and hearing the birds singing as the day began to break and also seeing some sheep before him his fear went quite off and this we are told was no profane immoral man john ap john of Cum Valen was no liar. He was an honest, peaceable, knowing man and a very comely person moreover. Not some troublemaker making up some stories. This was a good, honest Christian Welshman who had not only heard and survived the call of the old woman trying to lead him astray, but had also narrowly avoided being mowed down by what sounds like some kind of phantom coach. Now, jumping backwards slightly, but going back to this idea of busting ghosts and fairies and all manner of supernatural creatures with a knife. And again, don't carry a knife. But this exorcism by knife, as Sykes describe it, which I think is a lovely way of describing it, exorcism by knife, appears to be a Welsh notion. Although he does say there is an old superstition of wide prevalence across Europe that to give or receive from a friend a knife or a pair of scissors cuts friendship. So if you gift somebody a knife or a scissors, that could cut your friendship. And he tells us that I have even encountered this superstition in America. In his native America, he discovered that people were presumably reluctant to give people knives and or scissors. And he tells us that once an editorial friend at Indianapolis gave me a very handsome pocket knife which he refused to part with except at the price of one cent lawful coin of the realm and he asserted that we should become enemies without this precaution so what sykes is saying is that in america or in indianapolis at least anyway but in america you can give somebody a knife but you have to give them something in return no matter how little even if it's just a single cent you have to give them that token payment to avoid damaging your friendship and finally in the, this this global quest for knife superstition even in China, he says, special charms are associated with knives, and a knife which has slain a fellow being is an invaluable possession. Also a slightly a slightly grim and gory possession as well to have a knife which has which has killed somebody, he is saying, is an invaluable possession. And these are the kind of objects that you might see in a in some kind of morbid museum nowadays. But back to Wales. And Sykes suggests that maybe, just maybe, the reason the Welsh in particular use knives to, to defeat evil, as, as he describes it, the reason it's unique to Wales could potentially be traced all the way back to its source. We try and work out exactly why the Welsh believe this. It might, just might, be connected with the most famous of Welsh warriors and the most famous of blades to be found in the depths of Welsh mythology. And I have absolutely no idea how he traced it back to this, but I love the idea. He tells us that it can be traced back to King Arthur himself and his sword Excalibur. And maybe that is why knives are so powerful in Wales when fighting the paranormal and can protect you from the Gwythion. And 
talking about the Gwethlion, of course, which is the whole point of this episode, back to the Gwethlion, we are also told that while they are the fairies, the phantoms of the mountains, they can also come indoors. They can come into the houses, and they did so with the people of Abastruth, especially in stormy weather, we are told. And the inmates made them welcome. So when the Gwetlion came inside, the residents made them welcome, although not because of any love they bore them, Sykes tells us. They were making them welcome out of fear that the Gwetlion might hurt anyone who offends them. And as such, if any old woman suspected of being a Gwetlion entered a property, they provided clean water for them, and they took special care that no knife, no scissors, no cutting tool at all should be in the corner near the fire where the fairies would go to sit. So that is where they went to warm themselves in stormy weather, and if there was a blade there, well, you could find yourself in trouble. And that's not just an idle threat, because Sykes says that many were hurt by them as a result. Those who forgot to remove the blades were hurt by them, and while it was desirable to exorcise them when in the open air, so it makes sense to get your knife out if they approach you on the mountains at night, because of course you just want to get from point A to point B safely, but if they enter your house, the best approach is just to be as nice as humanly possible, keep the fairies happy, and assuming they have a good time, they will leave of their own accord without any hurt. And to quote Sykes once more, it was not deemed prudent to display an inhospitable spirit towards any member of the fairy world. Nevertheless, if you had to use your knife against them, it was a very effective form of fighting them, we are told. And to quote, the cases of successful exorcism by knife are many, and nothing in the realm of fairy is better authenticated. And in one such account, an Evan Thomas, who was travelling by night over Bedwethy Mountain towards his house and estate, saw the Gwithlion on each side of him, some of them dancing around him in fantastic fashion. Now, all of the accounts I've discussed on this episode so far have involved a single Gwithlion. You see one old woman on a lonely road, and that is bad. Although there was also that case with the potential phantom coach as well. But in this one, it is not one old woman. There is a party going on. There are many Gwithlion, some of which are dancing on either side. He also heard the sound of a bugle horn in the air, and there seemed to be invisible hunters riding by. So he really has timed this journey badly. It's all kicking off. He can hear them. He can see them. They're flying by him. They're dancing all around him. And as such, perhaps unsurprisingly, he began to be afraid. But luckily, this weary traveller was up on his Welsh folklore. Maybe he'd listened to this podcast, but he knew that any person who encountered the Gwythion may drive them away by drawing out a knife. So he drew out his knife, and the fairies vanished directly. The effects of the knife were instantaneous. He drew that knife, and the fairies were gone. And just in case you are doubting the validity of this tale, did this really happen? Well, Sykes does give us another glowing character reference for Evan Thomas, another honest, God-fearing Welshman who is or was an old gentleman of such strict veracity that we can take this as the gospel 
truth. So we've looked at what the Gwitlion are. We've looked at some encounters over the centuries that people have reported with the Gwitlion. And some of you might be wondering, well, where are the Gwitlion today? Where is the old woman of the mountain nowadays? Well, the quick answer is that, as with much of the old accounts of the fairy folk, many people are still experiencing and reporting strange encounters. But today, the activity is blamed on different creatures. Nowadays, it's more likely to be blamed on the spirits of the departed, on some kind of evil poltergeist, than on the Quithion. Strange apparitions of old women are reported today around the world. I guess the one big difference is nowadays, the spectral ghostly women don't necessarily go about shouting woo-boo. But there was another theory suggested in earlier times that the reason we don't see them is because in the 1700s and the 1800s, Wales was such a strong Christian land that they were driven away by the light of the gospel. Because the Christian faith of the good people of Wales was so powerful, it sent them away. It didn't exorcise them. Rather, it drove them underground. It drove the Gwythion underground into these cavernous mines where they began to haunt the industrial landscape, the coal pits and the holes of the earth, as Sykes describes them. And of course, as I've discussed on an earlier episode, these coal pits and holes of the earth in Wales were home to another class of fairy folk, the Coblunai, also described by Sykes. So maybe there's some overlap going on here. Maybe the folklore of the two are intertwined in some way. That's a bigger question for another day. Or maybe the mines are just getting incredibly crowded with all the fairies, all these folkloric creatures that have been driven underground where they lay in wait. Maybe they're plotting their revenge down there. Maybe they're biding their time to come up and take their revenge on the human race who tormented themselves so with passages from the Bible and their shiny knives, or maybe not. Anyway, moving on. And finally, and also bizarrely, the Gwythion and the fairy folk have a connection with the most diabolical of animals. Although I should say diabolical in superstition, only in reality they are lovely, lovely animals. But they have a connection with what folklore tells us is the most diabolical of animals, the horned mischief makers themselves, the goats. Yes, the good old billy goats. And we are told that goats are in Wales, held in peculiar esteem for their supposed occult intellectual powers. What a wonderful way of describing a goat. It has occult intellectual powers, and they are believed to be on very good terms with the Taloith Tig, which regular listeners will know is the most commonly used Welsh name for the fairy folk. The goats are on very good terms with the Taloith Tig, and that whatever you might think of goats, they are, we are told, possessed of more knowledge than their appearance indicates, which I feel is a bit harsh on the poor goats. What Sykes is saying is that goats are not as stupid as they look. And not only that, they are masters of the dark arts. What mischievous creatures. And to wrap up this little part about goats, and to wrap up this entire episode, finally, we are told that it is one of the peculiarities of the Tolith Tig that every Friday night, 
They comb the goats' beards to make them decent for Sunday. So every Friday night, they're up late combing the goats' beards to make them presentable for, for Sunday, for the Lord's Day. And their association with the Gwythion is related in the legend of Cadwallader's goat, a dark legend of death and deceit. And it is a wonderful dark legend of death and deceit, which I won't spoil right now on this episode because I have also dedicated an entire episode to that dark legend of death and deceit as well. And it was a few years ago now, all the way back on episode 41. Back in the good old days when I still did regular sound effects on every episode, and I'm pretty sure there are some good devil goat sound effects. Well, good. Good as a matter of opinion, but I'm pretty sure there are some devil goat sound effects on that episode. So if you would like more diabolical goat lore and maybe a little bit more fairy lore at the same time, be sure to check out episode 41 afterwards. All of which brings me to the end of this episode and another episode of the Ghosts and Folklore podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode and you haven't already, please consider hitting the subscribe button button and if you really enjoyed it you can support the podcast by treating me to a coffee via my website or by just leaving a nice review or a nice rating if you'd like more ghosts and folklore you can follow me on social media i'm on all the main platforms and as well as this podcast i've also written a number of books about similar weird and wonderful subjects which are available from all good bookshops offline and on and on that note, it just leaves me to say thank you very much for listening. Dioch and Varian Amrando. I've been Mark Reese. This has been my Ghosts and Folklore podcast, beaming to you from Wales to the world. And remember, if you do hear a dear old lady shouting, woo boob, it's probably best not to follow them. Until next time, Nusta. Thank you.